the first Gulf major since the shocking deal between the PGA Tour and Saudi Arabia's public investment fund begins today. It's Thursday, June 15th. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter, and this is Front Office Sports Today. Gulf's U.S. Open begins today, while the sports world is still processing the deal that is expected to reunite the worlds of the PGA Tour and Live Golf. We're going to tackle the golf side and the legal side of this, starting with a resident golf expert, Front Office Sports newsletter co-author David Rumsey. Welcome, David. Hey, Owen. How are you doing? Doing great. So before we get into the many dramas of the golf world, let's just get to know you a little bit. This is your first time on the podcast. You just joined our team. What was it just two or three weeks ago? Um, right, right in May, correct. Yeah, yeah, which it already feels like you've been here a long time. And because in a way you have, you've already written many stories. But so how long have you been writing about sports? So I've been covering sports business for about seven years. And yeah, really excited to be on the front office sports team now, uh, heading up the awesome newsletter that comes to your inbox twice a day. And so you're a big golf guy. Do you have other favorite sports as well? Yeah, golf is my favorite sport to play, although not that well. Love to watch it as well. And then beyond that, big football guy, Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan. Um, it's going to be a rough year, but we had a, a good run, so it's all right. Before we were recording, you said you have at least once hit a ball more than 300 yards. Um, I have once hit a ball at least 30 yards, so... There we go. <laughs> yeah, um, it's all relative. All right, so let's get into everything going on in the golf world as as we get ready for the U.S. Open. First, I just want to acknowledge that we have reports that... The head of the PGA Tour, Jay Monahan, is dealing with some kind of health issue. He's taking a hiatus from his work. We don't know how serious it is or how long he's going to be out. That That is going on while everything else is going on. Speaking of everything else going on, this is the first major since the PGA Tour and Live Golf agreed to a merger. So how is that going to color the narratives going on for this tournament? Yeah. Players began arriving on Sunday and started speaking to the media on Monday after practice rounds and things. And I think everybody was kind of hoping uh, we would get some answers from players or maybe some strong opinions. But really, the resounding kind of overall sentiment is that players don't know anything more than we do. They want answers. They're confused. This is guys on the PGA Tour. This is guys on Live Golf. This is major champions. This is guys who have just qualified for the U.S. Open. Nobody knows what is going on. So we're not getting the answers that we were hoping to get. Yeah. And there isn't even a done deal as far as we know. So it's hard to exactly know what, what to talk about. Is there a sense of resentment, at least from some of these people? There there definitely is. I mean, John Rahm yesterday, I guess on Tuesday, said that he felt a sense of betrayal amongst uh, most players. That's what players were feeling from PGA Tour management, he said. So, I mean, that's that's strong words coming from the 2021 U.S. Open champion. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you can see where they're coming from. I mean, some of these guys turned down hundreds of millions of dollars, you know, maybe not that many for all of them, but quite a lot of money um, and felt like they were making a, a moral, um, you know, that that they were siding with the PGA Tour, not just as a business move, not just for their own careers, but because this was the morally correct thing to do. And then the PGA Tour takes the same money that they turned down. Does that feel like a fair representation of what happened here? That's what it seems like, but I'd like to believe that the PGA Tour is figuring something else out. Uh, Jimmy Dunn, who is one of the PGA Tour policy board members that really brokered this deal with the Saudi PIF, um, 
he has since said that he thinks maybe loyal PGA Tour players will receive some sort of equity in this new company that PGA Tour is creating with the PIF. Um, and that equity would uh, be kind of a reward for sticking loyal to the PGA Tour and live golfers like Brooks Kepka or Dustin Johnson or Phil Mickelson, even if they rejoin the tour, wouldn't be able to be eligible to receive equity like that. But again, like you said, it's not a signed deal. So nothing is really official. This is all just predictions. Right. And yeah, and we do kind of have to leave it in that realm of we'll see what happens. But yeah, so there's that question of will players who stuck with the PGA Tour be compensated in some way? Will live golf players be punished, which seems like if you're going to make a deal like that seems like the not this in the spirit of the deal, but maybe you could say that them not getting equity in this new company would be a form of punishment. Um, and, yeah, and then there's that question of will the live golfers be able to rejoin the PGA Tour, which it sort of feels like they have to if this is all coming together. But do we know anything about that? I mean, Jay Monahan had said in his uh, you know initial statement that, yes, live golfers, uh, pe- people that have defected from the PGA Tour will go through a process that, again, is still being decided to potentially rejoin the tour. And there could be fines for them to come back or even maybe potentially some sort of suspension. But you have to think, like you said, that the idea is we're coming together, we're bringing golf together. That was the point of their merger agreement was to unify the game of golf. So they're not going to make anything too difficult for players that they want back on the PGA Tour. And just to wrap up this topic, there's been some reporting that the PGA Tour was not going to be able to afford the ongoing litigation it had with Live Golf and could be liable if that litigation for, for hundreds of millions of dollars more um, beyond their just basic legal fees um, if that, those lawsuits did not go in their favor. So <laughs> their hand may have been forced effectively, even though Live Golf as a product wasn't much of a threat to the PGA Tour. Live Golf, the business entity with all the money in the world ready to have prolonged legal fight may have been, you know, something that the PGA tour couldn't stand up to. Right. I think Roy McElroy last week ahead of the Canadian open said it best. The Saudis are going to continue to spend money in golf. And he is kind of, he's given up and he's just okay with that fact. And he thinks it's better that the PGA tour, maybe the forces of good are controlling that money as opposed to fighting it. Yeah. Yeah. He's, one person is in a very interesting spot with all this. Let's hop to a slightly different topic. So there's been a proposal and Mike Wan just had a, the CEO of uh, the USGA just had a press conference, which touched on this. Uh, there's been a proposal to roll back the the golf ball itself uh, to maybe make things easier on players who are outside of say the top 20. Um, could you, but that, that's kind of all I know here. Fill me in on what's going on with the ball. Right. So in March, the USGA, along with the RNA, the two biggest governing bodies of golf in the world, um, proposed uh, a new rule change that for elite competitions, the there would need to be a new golf ball that basically would go a little bit, um, not quite as far as it's going now. So maybe like 30 yards um, fewer than it, the golf ball is going right now. And this a change wouldn't even come into effect until 2026. But it's going to affect everybody pretty much on the same level. So if Roy McIlroy hits his drive 340 yards, it's now going to go 310 yards about. If somebody else hits their drive 
290 yards, it's going to go down to 260 or 265. Very interesting. And as we look forward to this tournament, let's just talk golf just for a sec here. Who are you excited to watch? I'm a big Brooks Kepka fan. I uh, enjoyed watching his PGA Championship win, especially after kind of seeing him open up on, on the Netflix series. Um, I've been a lo- big Roy McIlroy fan for a long time. Uh, he's kind of a tragic case now after his uh, defeat at the British Open last year. Um, and, and it's just intriguing to watch all these golfers come together at the majors ever since uh, the split happened with Liv and they're not all together on the tour anymore. David Rumsey, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Owen. Looking now at the deal overshadowing all of this, as David and I talked about, there is still so much we don't know, but the legal system can help us understand the contours of what this deal and golf itself could look like going forward. That's provided that you have someone who understands the legal system, which we do. Up next, I spoke to Corey Martin, an attorney very well versed in mergers and acquisitions. We'll have that conversation next. I am joined now by Corey Martin, Managing Partner and Chair of Granderson Des Rochers, LLP's Entertainment Finance Practice. Welcome, Corey. Good to be here. So we're, we're still reeling from this news around the merger between Live Golf and the PGA Tour. But of course, it's not actually a, a done deal. So where, where should we be turning our attention as this thing kind of shapes together? I think we should keep a very close eye on what the final deal actually looks like. Essentially, people have been referring to this alignment between the PGA Tour and Live Golf as a merger. It actually is not a merger. Um, And specifically, I think people should be aware of the fact that the PGA Tour, in and of itself, as a separate entity, is a not-for-profit. Live Golf is a for-profit entity. And thus, it really actually wouldn't be possible, legally, would it be possible for two such entities to merge with one another? So in order to get around that constraint, the constraint of trying to merge a a not-for-profit entity with a for-profit entity, what the parties have agreed to do, essentially, is to form a newly owned entity, a new co, they're calling it, and that new co is going to be majority owned by the PGA Tour, Live Golf will be a significant minority investor in this new co. And the PGA Tour, Live Golf, and also the DP Tour, which is essentially the European Tour, the European equivalent of the PGA Tour, will contribute all of their commercial assets and all their rights to exploit their intellectual property vis-a-vis rights deals, broadcasting deals, and other commercial sponsorships into this new co. Now, again, most of the media coverage thus far has somewhat implied that this alignment is a done deal, when in fact it's not. The parties have either entered into kind of a a high-level memorandum of understanding, which is essentially just a, a sketch and an outline of what a deal should look like, or perhaps they've entered into a, a term sheet, again, a, a framework that would be non-binding, But no one's really sure exactly because the parties haven't clarified um, how far down the road they have gone. I I can tell you that in my practice, which is primarily uh, mergers and acquisitions, we would never publicly announce uh, a term sheet or never publicly announce an MOU because it's non-binding and and a deal 
could ultimately fail to be consummated. Yeah, absolutely. And actually speaking on that capital part of it, one part that's caught my eye that feels like it's going to matter more and more as time goes on is that according to the terms of the deal as we know them right now, the public investment fund, the Saudi Arabian Sovereign Wealth Fund, has the right of first refusal on new investments into this yeah. new entity. Right. So tell us what that means and how it might matter going forward. You, you, you would have heard, and I'm sure people listening to this would have heard the, the term soft power thrown around. And essentially what it means, it's, it's softening your profile. So instead of thinking about Saudi Arabia as a totalitarian political regime, they want people to think about Saudi Arabia as a destination for tourism, as a place to go and see boxing fights and the UFC, and they want to start shooting movies there. And, you know, they already have a Formula One race. Okay, so instead of thinking about Saudi Arabia in a political context, people think about Saudi Arabia like they think about Dubai now as a tourist destination. And so what uh, the Saudis, the Saudi pension fund, vis-a-vis Live Golf have managed to do in this potential alignment with the PGA is to negotiate the right that any money that's going into this newly formed entity will either come from the Saudi public pension fund, from the Saudi sovereign wealth fund, or if they pass only at such time as they pass on the opportunity to make investments, that entity can then go out and raise capital from other parties, from third parties. But they have the right of first refusal to put money in. Let's say I'm a golfer with who is offered $100 million by Live Golf. And then I went to Jay Monahan, head of the PGA Tour, and said, you know, I've got this offer. I don't know. I'm thinking about it. And he said, you know, don't take that money. You're, you're going to make plenty of money with the PGA Tour. Your reputation will remain intact. Um, you know, you, you won't lose your sponsors. You'll feel good about yourself when you wake up in the morning. I say, okay, I'm sticking with the PGA Tour. Then this deal happens. All of a sudden, you're, you're taking that Saudi money, whether you want it or not, essentially. And, and now they're one entity. And, you know, it's, it's the, kind of everyone's now in the same pile, except you're down $100 million against the person, against that other path that you could have taken. Do I have a lawsuit against someone here? Don't see it. Don't see it. And that's being thrown around mm-hmm. a lot. And, and people, I think, rightfully are, are wondering, you know, A, how the PGA golfers who were solicited by Liv feel. Obviously, they're not happy. And B, whether they have any claims. But I don't see any claims. I mean, look, part of the, as I mentioned earlier, Liv Golf's claims from an antitrust perspective against the PGA Tour is that they were operating a monopoly. And that what Liv was doing is to create alternatives and to create choice. And so any of the golfers who were at the PGA Tour, who Liv went after, who said no, they had the choice to either go to Liv Golf or to stay with the PGA Tour. Super insightful. Thanks so much to bring this all together for us. Corey Martin, thanks for joining us on the show. Thanks for having me. Great to see you. That's it for today. Tomorrow we have a Baseball Hall of Famer, News of the Week, and much more. Subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss a thing. If you're enjoying it, tell a friend or share an episode. Thanks for listening. We will see you tomorrow. Later.